Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Paul is a 59-year-old county administrator. He comes in today for follow-up. His BMI is 32. He sits all day, snacks on pretzels and trips, and drinks a mountain drink to keep awake. Paul dislikes exercising. He's content taking his antihypertensive and his statin and states, I saw my labs. Everything looks normal, right? But as you review his labs, you notice his LFTs aren't. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Baldor, professor and founding chair from the Department of Family Medicine at the UMass Chan Medical School, Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Frank. It's great to be here. This is just, I have a lot of patients like this, and I worry a lot about the uh, NELF or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in somebody like this. Can you talk more about what that is and how common is it and why we should be looking for it? Sure. Well, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is really quite common. And it's a spectrum of diseases, starting with fatty liver or non-alcoholic fatty liver, progressing to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also called NASH. And once you have NASH or the inflammation of the hepatocytes, it can progress to fibrosis and then ultimately cirrhosis. And in a big change from when I did my training, Fatty liver disease is now the most common chronic liver disease in most industrial nations, including the United States. So let's break it down. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a reversible condition. It's when the hepatocytes start filling up with fat. When that happens, the AST and the ALT can remain normal, but the ratio of them flips. So when the ALT is greater than the AST, when that ratio is greater than one, that implies you've started the process of fatty liver disease. And I remind people when the AST-ALT ratio is greater than two, we worry a lot about alcoholic hepatitis. This is the opposite. When the ALT-AST ratio is greater than one, we talk about fatty liver. When um, the ALT and AST are elevated, that's when we start talking about steatohepatitis. You've now got a form of inflammation going on in the liver. And about 30% of people with this condition, NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, can progress to fibrosis within five years. So think about that. If you see even mildly elevated levels of the ALT and AST ratio, one in three can progress to fibrosis. And that, of course, can progress to cirrhosis and liver failure. And the rare instance of hepatocellular carcinoma. NASH-induced cirrhosis is when steatohepatitis begins to scar. And once you start causing that scarring, there's no way to turn that back. So how common are these conditions? The prevalence went in 2005 from one in four adults to now over the last five years, it's probably more like less than one in three adults in the US have fatty liver disease. The risk was slightly higher in women than men, and that's just based on observational prevalence data. So this is a very common condition. If, if you're seeing 15 people a day 
that are adults, at least five of them probably have fatty liver disease. And, and we need to at least both first diagnose it and then decide on how to manage it. Wow. That increasing prevalence actually doesn't surprise me. And uh, so should we be screening then our patients for this? Well, the American Gastroenterology Society and the American College of Clinical Endocrinologists came out with a new guideline this year. And I think this is pretty practice changing. They have a set of recommendations. And what I did is I grabbed the top eight that I think affect those of us in primary care, and I want to cover them quickly. The first thing they say are screen patients at increased risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So who is that? Anyone who's got a BMI over 30, anyone with prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, or anyone who's got a clinical finding. And by a clinical finding, I took that to mean palpating a liver edge on physical exam. If any of those conditions are present, obtain an ALT and an AST. And even if they're normal, if the ALT-AST ratio is greater than one, this implies they have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, okay? So right off the bat, even if the numbers are normal, you should be doing that ratio. If the ALT-AST ratio is greater than one, they recommend you calculate an FIB4 score. And there's a bunch of free calculators online to help you to do this. If the FIB4 score is less than or equal to 1.3, their risk is relatively low for progression to cirrhosis, and they recommend that it's treated in the primary care setting. So the vast majority of these patients will still land probably in our lap. They recommend you get some measure of their liver, at least start with an ultrasound, and if that shows fat deposits, get a measure of elastography like a fibroscan. Their third recommendation is start treating this in the primary care setting. And I think that's probably where we need to focus. Yeah, that's this is really helpful. I like the, the idea of having a score to calculate to help decide where you should go with this. And the idea that we can handle this in primary care at a certain level is really helpful. But what exactly is the treatment? I certainly think a lot of this is related to diabetes and obesity and you know weight loss. But what really is out there? Recommendations. All right. Well, yep. So if the FIB score, FIB4 score is less than 1.3, treat it in the primary care setting. If it's over 1.3, you're still going to be treating most of it, but you're going to refer them also to gastroenterology so they can do some preventive evaluations to help try to prevent cirrhosis from occurring. So what should we do? Of course, lifestyle interventions are the first thing they recommend, but they recommend aggressive weight loss treatment. Okay. There are no meds for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but there are meds for NASH. And the drugs include semaglutide and liraglutide. So right off the bat, if you're going to be using a medication, say they have type 2 diabetes, these are good places to start. With regards to diet and exercise, they, they focus on just two diets. They don't focus on calorie counting. They don't focus on keto They recommend the 5-2 diet if someone wants to do a time-restricted dieting, meaning you eat normally five days a week and take in 500 calories on two non-consecutive days, or a low-carb, high-fat diet. Those are the two diets they recommend. Well, it sounds a little counterintuitive to be taking a low-fat diet, so this is carbohydrate. Low-carb is the key. No, no, it's it's a low-carb, high-fat diet. I know. This is what they recommend. Their goal is 5 to 7% weight loss per year and adding in moderate exercise 150 minutes per week. The next treatment 
is all about drugs. So for your patients with type 2 diabetes, a GLP-1 agent or a GLP agent, if you can get it paid for, are the way to go. So adding that and then adding in an SGLD2 inhibitor are probably paramount for your patients with type 2 diabetes. But for across the board, they recommend decreasing or eliminating obesogenic meds. So what's an obesogenic med? Well, short-acting insulin is one we're commonly aware of. So switch those peoples off uh, if they're on short-acting insulin and get them on a a GLP-1 agent and an SGLD2 inhibitor. The other two drugs they point out as being obesogenic are beta blockers and SSRIs. So this is sort of practice changing. We need to be very careful with how we use these two other drugs because they increase the risk of weight gain. And then they talk about what else to add if you're not a type 2 diabetic. And they say, we in primary care should be aggressively using medications, pharmacotherapy for treating obesity. That includes fentramine alone or combined with topiramate, bupropion alone or combined with naltrexone, again, with the goal of about 5% weight loss a year. If your BMI is 32, they recommend you refer them for bariatric surgery. And then they recommend children with obesity or with type 2 diabetes should be screened with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with an AST and an ALT. Wow. So I guess it's not surprising. This is clearly related to diabetes and obesity. Um, Is there anything else that we can be doing? Well, I'd be remiss if, uh, if I didn't mention that one of the things that correlates with a lower risk of progression to anyone with liver disease is coffee. Two to four cups a day, regular decaf, seems to lower the something about how liver cells degrade. And so we have very good data showing that coffee, two to four cups a day, are probably the best way to go. And I know my good friend, Dr. Chopra, will be happy to hear that. Thank you, Frank. This is really helpful and interesting information to bring forward. And, I, and, and, and I'm good, glad to hear that the coffee remains to be a helpful thing to be taking. Thank you. Practice pointer. In a patient with an ALT AST ratio greater than one, evaluate for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and consider aggressive treatment. Join us next time when we talk about the lack of benefit of vitamin D supplementation on the prevention of osteoporotic fractures. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.